Hey guys, welcome back to the Actual VR Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Mann, the owner of Actuality VR. This is the podcast where we give you behind the scenes look at the VR revolution in real time with real professionals. Today, we're joined by Jason Bunn, the owner of national VR company VirtuFab, where they create enterprise VR solutions for the fabrication and manufacturing industries. Jason is a world-class developer, father, and bagpiper, and in this interview, he's given us some world-class advice on enterprise VR applications and pitfalls. Don't forget, if you've been enjoying this and all other content we put out, subscribe on your platform of choice. With that said, let's go. Jason, what's going on, man? Hi. How's it going? <laughs> what's going all right, man? It's good. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. We uh, we had a little bit of time to talk before the show, so we we have uh, we have a lot of things that we want to cover. But what, what I want to do is I want to start with kind of our origin story, how we how we met. Sure. Um, which we most people don't. Nobody knows. We used to share an office <laughs> no, uh, a long for, time ago. And by share an office, I mean that um, I had a yeah, uh, I shared, desk. I shared an office with your computer. Yeah, more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. We were talking to Phil about, uh, about that. It was just like you know, I I, I was there for a couple of weeks, and then I uh, I got a little spoiled. My commute is all of. 70 feet um right, driving yeah. to nashville was a little uh yeah it was a bit of a haul coming out here today. yeah yeah that's right you came the other I'm way a, i live over by the airport so i had oh, to like yeah navigate completely around nashville um did you take 440 no oh no good call. i, good I stayed off the major <laughs> interstates i was on uh one of the u.s highways until i got to 65 nice Just, completely bypass all that madness with all, the, with all the construction and stuff it's just not it's awful i do that on a daily basis anyway so yeah i was i was happy to not have to do that today nice well it's we, a nice drive it is yeah yeah no it's uh well i say yes um i i didn't <laughs> i didn't like it again, 70 yeah, again. Feet for your commute yeah yeah <laughs> but we so one of the things you um you own a company called mm -hmm. virtue fab i do uh which I think when we we had a shift at, at actual VR where we were like, you know what? Narrative VR is cool. 360 video is cool. Narrative 360 video is cool. Telling stories is always about what, you know, we always tell stories. But the question always came up, like, how do we make money with this? Right. And that's kind of where we found the need for enterprise mm -hmm. VR, um, you know, for enterprise use. And I think you realize that as well, thus VirtuFab. Yes. So I want to know, um, you know, for people that don't know, what VirtuFab is, what what they do, what you do, what what in a nutshell, what does VirtuFab do? Um, in a nutshell, one of the one of the things we've really been sort of riffing on is to have this um, what most companies have with like a simple like tagline or motto or whatever like VirtuFab, simple productive VR. Yeah. So what we're aiming to do is create VR experiences that help businesses. Um, it's not going to be a fit for every business, obviously. But if we can uh, discover a pain point and find a solution that can utilize VR in your business and then make it simple enough that the people actually using it can see it as productive, yes. then that is our end goal. We are, we are aiming to make enterprise VR solutions for the everyday business, essentially. That's cool. So one of the things we've really struggled with so far um, with other other types of enterprise tools for VR is that you kind of have to have a specialized profession just to use it. I mean, if you think of something like um, Revit or mm -hmm. a 3D modeling software like Maya or 3ds Max, like you have to really drill down into those pieces of software. Like as a layman coming to it, 
It's super confusing. <laughs> like I, I use Blender personally just because I've been doing it for years now. But yeah. the first time I approached any sort of 3D modeling software, it's like, there's all these buttons <laughs> that have all kinds of names that I'm not used to. And I have no idea where to even start. Like we want to go the exact opposite of that where, yeah. you know, you have simple UIs, you have simple tasks that you can accomplish. You have, you know, the most basic needs of your workflow in order to accomplish a task, depending on what, you know, what your company's pain point is. So you, you have, you've, you've already had some real life application. You've yes. worked with some companies that you provide as a service for what, so what can you, can you talk about, um, you know, kind of what you provided for sure. your clients? Yeah. Um, our, our major client is a manufacturer of stainless steel workstations for nice. quick service restaurants. So think of things like, um, you know, McDonald's or Arby's or Hardee's or whatever, all yeah. of their workstations in the back of the house are made with stainless steel and they are meticulously engineered to make sure the back of the house moves as quickly as possible. Right. Like a lot of people don't think about that. You think, oh, you know, it's whatever, it's a prep area, whatever. No, people have spent hundreds of hours <laughs> analyzing how many steps it takes to get you from one side of the workstation yes. to the other, much less one side of the kitchen to the other to try to minimize the amount of time you're wasting. Essentially. It's all about efficiency. It's how all about you, efficiency. How do you operate the most efficient? It's all about efficiency. Yeah. Like if you look at something like McDonald's or, you know, some of these other quick serve restaurants, it's, it's in the name, quick serve restaurant. You go into the drive through you order, and then you pull around, and chances are your food's already ready. Like, yeah. you've already got it done. You There's a reason pay. why that's happening. Right, exactly. <laughs> there is a reason why that's happening. Um, and a lot of that comes down to engineering of workstations and engineering yeah. of the entire kitchen space um, as a whole. And that's something that has been you know, decades in the making. Like this isn't yeah. something that's new. Like they've been doing this since the first McDonald's opened up in California. Like this, they have been trying to make things go as quickly as possible in the back of the house. So one of the, one of the big issues that uh, my client was faced with was that every workstation they build, every redesign they do, every um, new bit or bob they put on the workstation, it has to be prototyped. They have to be yeah. able to stand in front of it do the arm motions, you know, check the reach from one side of the workstation to the other, see yeah. how many steps it takes from one side of the workstation to the other. So they had to build all these prototypes, like physically build them out of either plywood or foam board or up until recently stainless steel. But that's now become way, <laughs> way too expensive to do that out of. <clears throat> so when we, when we first introduced them to VR, we didn't have a solution in mind. Um, yeah. We've been very fortunate thus far that we shepherd people into VR and yeah. then their light bulbs go off and they're like, aha. Yeah. So they had no interest in, I say no interest in, but they hadn't thought of VR being a solution up to this point. Did they come to you and say, listen, we've heard about VR and right. They were interested in the technology. Yeah. They thought there might be something there that could be useful, but they didn't have a particular problem in mind for us to solve. Right. We didn't have a solution for them. Right. We, just, we put them in the headset put them in a essentially like a virtual showroom and showed them um, a single object. It wasn't even a workstation. I think it was like a coffee machine or something. Yeah. Not even one that they made um, <laughs> at different scales. So you had like the full scale one, you had a miniaturized version of, you had a giant oh. one that they could actually, you know, peek into, <laughs> put the steam wand in their face if they really needed to. 
You need um, to. Just to, I mean, <laughs> yeah, just to get an idea of, you know, how these things look. And that sort of, that got their wheels spinning. They were like, okay, this, there is something here. Yeah. There is something here that we can use. Like, can we take this? Can we take this technology and build a software package to visualize prototypes before yeah. we cut a piece of foam board, before we cut a piece of plywood, yes. before we press stainless steel into a workstation, can we visualize these things? And of course, we're like, well, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's importing a model. It's, I come from a game, game development background. So yeah. a lot of my game development skills really came into play here. I was like, yeah, that's just loading a model. That's not yeah. that big of a deal. We can do this. Um, and then, of course, it snowballed from there. And now they want, you know, runtime imported models, which is a little bit trickier. Runtime imported models. Right. So. What is that? Yeah. When you're, <laughs> when you're working with any sort of game engine or um, any sort of development platform, you import all your assets while you're building it. So okay. in an editor, essentially. Right. So that you can put together, um, using the game engine example, you can put together your scenes, you can lay out you know, where the virtual furniture is and where yeah. the virtual models go and things like that. Um, because there's a lot of um, optimization that has to take place in order yeah. to display large spaces or display what looks like a lot of geometry. A lot of work goes into making sure that it's not actually a lot of geometry. And that yeah. goes back to... Um, hardware performance. I think um, that was a um, an issue I think a lot of people don't realize and I found out talking to you guys is that when you when you're building it's not just a simple import. So if you if you have an AutoCAD drawing mm -hmm. and you want to take that into a VR experience it's not a a click and drag. You can't just take right. the 3D model, place it and expect it to work in virtual reality. There are that certain hardware correct. limitations and optimization that needs to happen before. Well, it's also an issue of how like if you get a CAD program or something like Autodesk Revit, yeah. um, and I don't know all the technical terms here, but as as simple as I could break it down, if you're building a giant building in Revit, you can build a huge skyscraper in Revit, and it runs really well. Like it performs really, really well because yeah. it's not actually drawing triangles to the screen. Mm. Like it's almost like building vector graphics based on the actual data you're feeding it because you need to have precision in these software packages. Like if yes. it's CAD precision matters. If it says, you know, three feet, it better darn well be actually <laughs> three feet because they're actually building these things from yeah. these from these drawings. Um so it's not it's not in a format that most game engines understand natively. So it has yeah. to be converted. Um, so that conversion process, uh, which is something that we're looking into bypassing entirely, you have to convert it into a file format that the game engine can understand, Got which it. there's a handful, but primarily it's FBX. Like that's been gotcha. the standard for a while. It's actually not that great of a format to use. <laughs> um, traditionally, it's changing because it is an Autodesk proprietary file, file format. format. So getting all the information out of it has not been easy. Like with yeah. the with the technology we use with the Unity game engine, they are essentially licensing an FBX importer from Autodesk. Yeah. To import into that. Um, all that to say is all the processing that happens to import that model into a format that the game engine can understand is pretty resource intensive. Yeah. So if you go from, let's say, Revit and then convert it to FBX, you have to use something like 3ds Max or, you know, some another sort of, software. Yeah. Some sort yeah. of go between 
to get it into a format that the engine can understand. And then in that process, there, there's hundreds of things that could potentially go wrong because it's it's generating triangles off something that is not triangles essentially yeah. in order to push it into a graphics card. Um, so there's there's so you're lots producing of a, things you're producing a essentially what you're supplying these these companies with is they have these assets they have these models that they've designed and what right. they need is they if they if they want to put it in virtual reality you have the skills the software the knowledge the the platform to be able to say like okay. We, you know, we already have these models. We don't need to build it for you again. What we're going to do is we're going right. to optimize it, and then we're going to put it into your exactly. into your custom software, essentially. Um, so what I, I think one of the things that we found out is that there is a need for this. I imagine yes. with this with this solution that you um, you created, they saved time and money. Yes, and that's huge. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize about virtual reality. Is it's not just it's not just a gaming thing. It's not. I mean, it right. is a gaming thing, and it's that's a really cool. Fruit. Yeah, it's a low hanging fruit. Um, and I think when a lot of people, when you, uh, for anybody who's listening, it thought about VR. There's a big there's a big thing about like VR is dead. VR is not dead. VR for the longest time, I remember hearing that just just in every form. VR I, is dead, I still dude. hear it. I it's still the, <laughs> well, and a lot of these people are building games, and right now right. the game there's there hasn't been that mass adoption hardware wise right. to be able to consume. But what we have found out is that this is a this is a a tool. It is a solution. Mm-hmm. It's a tool that solves prop pain points, right? With and it saves them time and money. Exactly. So and that I think that's the the biggest value. And I thought the earlier people figured that out, I think you see those companies starting are, are still in business today. Right. Exactly. Um, what do you think about um, we look at when we look at conversations about. Uh, enterprise what are you most excited about the the prospect of being able to use virtual reality where do you want it to go where do you want it to obviously we have a solution that works today right this is something that you can replicate multiple Mm -hmm. times what was the what was the the biggest thing that your client was just like this is the best like what was it what did you hear from your client like this is the biggest pain point it solved Right. Um, the biggest pain point for them, and I imagine this is for anyone that's actually uh, designing and manufacturing things, mm-hmm. um, is time to market. So this, my client has large multi-million dollar clients worldwide. And they'll have them come in, they're saying, yes, I need a workstation to do this. I need to have, you know, this much distance, this much, I need to have all the things that, you know, go here and there and whatever. Um, they have to first do a napkin sketch, essentially. So a when they're sketch. yeah, so when like when they're going through the first conversation, like like oh yeah, we you know we writing down notes on a napkin. Uh, essentially. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a business okay. term. It's not really a, <laughs> they're not really using napkins. Um, I, yeah, I hope I don't. Know. I visualize somebody throwing a bunch of napkins in the air and yeah, just like, trying ah, to catch as many as they can. Sketch, you know? <laughs> not catch. Napkin, <laughs> oh, napkin sketch. That there's, makes there's sense. a subtle difference. That makes there. more sense. <laughs> The napkin catch. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so they, they essentially start with the napkin sketch or just, you know, doodles, rough sketches of an idea of what yeah. these people want. And then they would take that to their designer and say, all right, put this, you know, take these dimensions, take this idea, translate this sketch into an actual design. Right. And that's an actual design that could be manufactured at any given moment. 
um, so mm. that they can then take that design, take screenshots, renderings, or whatever else they want out of it, back to the client, show the client the flat image. Like, right. is this kind of what you're looking for? You know, with the numbers and the dimensions on it. Like, that yeah. little br- blueprint. It's right. Hard yeah. to visualize. It is. It's hard to visualize, but even when you're given like the 3D rendering, it's like, yeah, that's sort of what I had in my head, but not quite. Yeah. Can we make changes here, there, and whatever? You know, it's like, all right, we'll take notes on it, take it back to the designer, have him change all the things that the customer has talked yeah. about, then represent that idea back to the customer with their changes or what they think their changes are going to be. You know, this it's a back and forth yeah. between the client and the cut my client and the and their customers trying to come up with just a basic design. All right. Yeah. Once they have this design, they're like, all right, this is the one. It's probably been two months at this point. Yeah. Just on back and forth. Just on back and forth. Because yeah. a lot of it is like scheduling. Like you have to get people to be in the same space or, uh, you know, fly yeah. across the country for a meeting um, just to. Thing of the past, man. It is a thing of the past. <laughs> it is. And I will. I'm Oh, I know there. it. I can't wait. I it's, can't wait. It's actually very exciting. So anyway, <laughs> this, their, their estimate for, from design to market was like six months to a year. Yeah, that's, that's, a long lead that's a time. long lead yeah. time. That is a huge lead time. Yeah. So one of the things we did for them is we put together the software package where they can load models at runtime. They still have to convert them from their um, design software into FBX, but they've mm-hmm. gotten really good at that now. <laughs> and they don't want to do it anymore subsequently. Um, and we've been able to put that into a virtual environment at runtime yeah. So it doesn't have to be loaded beforehand. So when we're building, we build them one piece of software that can load as many models as they want. Yeah. Um, they can then show it to the client. And who's like typically have the client standing in front of the workstation? Uh, yeah. Even remotely, they don't have to do this in the same room. That's the cool thing about it is this. networked. You can be sitting in their yeah. office down in Smyrna, and they can be talking to their client in Chicago or California or whatever. Yeah, and be going through this process together. And we've made the tool such that the um, their client, their customers, don't have to do anything. Oh, that's cool. They have to have someone from the manufacturing company hosting the session. Right. And the host can do things like take screenshots. They can take measurements. They can, uh, you know, write notes on whatever virtual surface they want. That's take cool. a screenshot of it. And then once they're out of the headset, they can actually make more detailed notes and generate a report that gets spit out as a uh, web page, essentially. Yeah. That they can then send to the client and be like, hey, this is what we talked about. Can you clear this so we can move on That's to cool. the next thing. You're not scheduling a phone call or a video or a conference or a flight. It's just like, hey, right. here. And if they're able to do it fast enough, they can literally take those notes, take it to the designer. Within hours, he can change it, and they can hop back in and see the changes oh, within hours as opposed to days, weeks, or months. And That's then cool. like once one of the things that you know virtually standing in front of the object can do for you is that it reduces errors. Like we have a couple of stories just from this client where they they look at the design, they do the 3D rendering of it, and someone from the manufacturing plant would be like, yeah, this is going to be too low. Like if you put this in a kitchen, people are going to struggle to use this. Yeah. And the client's like, no, whatever. It'll, it'll be, be fine. fine. <laughs> like it'll be fine. But then when they see it in VR, they're like, oh, 
Yeah. Like I had no idea. There's scale that, there. Right. You have spatial awareness. Exactly. You know exactly the spatial how, awareness is yeah. there. Because when you look at like, oh, this has an eight inch clearance, like, oh, eight inches, that's huge. No, it's really not. It's yeah. less than a foot. Like it's, yeah, you know, you're not gonna have yeah. It's harder to translate those numbers into pictures in the human brain. Like yeah. We're a very visually oriented species. Yes. So having that virtual environment there is a huge plus. So we can now go from design to market in less than three months. Ooh. Half that the lead is time. Huge. At least. That is a huge amount of money saved. That is, money huge, um, guess, that is a huge amount. I guess that is a huge potential amount of money earned yeah. because you can get to market faster than yes. your competitor. Can those can those models so you've essentially at this point they've created this mock-up kitchen uh, with their they've they have can they then use those assets for trading purposes? Yeah. Ooh. We could definitely take this and turn it into a piece of training software. Like yeah. That is a that's a bit more complicated. Right. Because that involves more software development on yes. my end. It's no longer this static environment that right. you're just it's exploring. becoming more dynamic and more interactions like we yeah. know we have to tell people all the time it's like oh can you drop you know a, a five thousand foot warehouse in here it's like yeah <laughs> space is free in virtual reality you don't have to worry about it yeah but you want to pick up a pan that's going to cost you a lot more yeah because i have to make that happen <laughs> Just dropping it into the virtual space is not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, where we where we really start getting into complications and we really start um, getting into the expense of these things is the interactions. Right. So if, like, you know, a restaurant comes to me, like, yeah, I want to be able to train back at house staff on this particular machine. Piece of, or, yeah, piece of hardware, this yeah, machine. Yeah. Like, all right, that's great. And then I will have to go or I'll have to send someone to actually do the thing. Like, if they have a new fryer they want to use, like, yeah. it's not going to be enough to watch a video about it. It's not going to be enough to, you know, read a manual about it. We have to go and operate the fryer. Yeah. As developers. And it's, you know, kind of exciting for me because <laughs> I get to do all these things and yeah. then translate that into a virtual training environment so that it that's is the art of it, I think. Realistic. Yeah. yeah. I think that's when a lot of people, and actually you, so you play the bagpipes. I do play the bagpipes. Do you find not that... Not virtually. Not virtually, actually. Yes, actually. Yes. What, you know, you hear a lot about, um, I know a lot of successful developers that have creative outlets on the side. Mm. Do you do you find that having that art form be, helps you in developing at all? Or, or is it I just another do. thing that you get to do? One that, of the things that, um, and I've been very fortunate to have some excellent instructors along the way, um, just thinking about software engineering just thinking about computer science like it's not it's not a science in the traditional sense right because in science you think of like astronomy you're doing observation you're taking notes you're watching for changes you know it's all about observation creating a hypothesis testing that hypothesis yes you know that um you can do that to an extent with like algorithmic analysis like creating your own algorithms okay which yeah. is you know very much straightforward science but a lot of what um, we do as software engineers or as programmers is more computer philosophy. Like it's more knowledge of computers and how computer systems work as opposed to the science of how computers work. Like I'm not an electrical engineer. 
I can tell you down at the lowest level, it's just protons on a copper wire. <laughs> and there are no actual ones and zeros until you start getting into like actual digital storage. Like if yeah. you're thinking about a platter drive, it's just positive and negative charges. There is no one or zero on there. Uh, it's just about how the data is interpreted by the machine. That's cool. Um, so when it comes to <clears throat> um, the creativity, a lot of that is not so much science-based, but it's using our knowledge of um, operating systems. It's using our knowledge of how software or how these this bits of hardware work together to create solutions that are solving a certain, you know, key properties or key characteristics. Like you, if it's something that you want it to be done fast, if it's something you want it to look really pretty, I mean, these are yeah. entirely different things. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, here's three options. You can pick two. Yeah. <laughs> we can't, can't, yeah. There's can't always one all. that's right. Yeah, exactly. It's all, it's, it sounds like it's part. Uh, so I'm not, I, I don't know how to develop. I, mm -hmm. I, I'm not a developer at all. I can appreciate, um, you know, Unreal and Unity and what it's capable mm -hmm. of and the people that are able to, to work within right. it. I would love to be able to say that I could do some, I can't, I can't do it. I'm just not, it's not my, my forte, but I, what I have found is that it, it sounds like it's part, part understanding the tool and what it can mm -hmm. be used for. And it's part, almost like this tango, like this dance where you're like right. trying to guide it to do what it needs to do while also understanding yeah. what it's capable of and what it's not capable of. It's like, um, it's, it's really cool to be able to hear how, um, how you're able to go in there and how that creative. It's uh, neat. I have a lot of fun. It's, it's creative problem solving given a set of constraints. Yeah. So there are certain things you cannot do within these engines. It's just the mat. It's just the nature of how they're built. Like they have a, they have a physics engine behind them that is right. simulating physics, but I mean, you can create the actual physics if you want based on the actual calculations, but you're going to stress the system, right? Because the simulation of the actual physics is done in such a way to make it as fast as possible. So there's corners being cut. Gotcha. It's not actual. Mm. Like when you think about how light is rendered in a game engine, like there's a reason yeah. it doesn't look real because it's not <laughs> using actual formula with how light is rendered or rendered. How yeah. light is <laughs> perceived by the human eye. Like one of the things that um, I get really excited and geeked out about is, is the capability of the human brain to process visual information. Yeah. Like we are super good at it. Yes. We're so good at it. We have not created a computer yet <laughs> that can do what our brains do just in the like processing of visual information. Yeah. Like That's computer vision is a whole field of science yeah. of people trying to figure out like how to make computers see in a manner that makes sense to humans mm. because you can call it seeing yeah. what computers do now, but it's not, not exactly the same as what we're doing, which is why you get all That's those weird cool. like trippy Google videos where it's like everything's a cat or a frog. Or, you know. <laughs> what do you, so what do you think about, I mean, obviously we, we had Oculus Connect 6. Um, yes. There were a lot of things announced. A lot of exciting things announced. I also, leading, even before that, I was, I was super excited about the Valve Index. Mm -hmm. I'll start, I'll start there. Um, specifically when we talk about controllers. Yeah. And kind of having that fidelity of being able to move your fingers. With the Valve headset, it's strapped to your hand. Sure. But you can open your hand freely right. and close it. Um, 
but you had that one of the things i loved is that you still held on to something mm-hmm. if you closed your hands there was still that response right. um then at oculus connect 6 we had the quest with the capability of being able to do hand tracking mm-hmm. what are your thoughts because i i think the techno the fact that it was all software based right pretty cool um, well, I mean, it's not what all software based because there are what four or six cameras on the front of the Quest. Yeah, so it already optical had, and yeah, it already <laughs> had the ability to do this. I mean, if yeah. you think of something like the not Magic Leap, uh, Leap Motion, Leap Motion, yeah, yeah. <laughs> every day, I mean, <laughs> every day it's a struggle to tell those two apart. Leap Motion's been doing this for years already. Yeah. It's just, if you wanted to be able to track your hand or other objects, you just had to slap that additional sensor onto your headset. Now it's just built into the headsets. Yeah. Because why wouldn't it be? It's a great way way to track things, like physical objects. Um, So it doesn't really surprise me that they have um, hand tracking on the Quest now. It's great. There's probably a lot of um, really cool things you can do with it. That's going to be my next question. Like, what do you see, at least in, in your field, when it comes to enterprise VR and the, and the products mm-hmm. that you, um, and the solutions that you have uh, for clients, what, how do you how do you see that coming into play, if, if at all? Like, do you have, I mean, are you excited about that technology for a reason in, in your applications? Or um, I'm excited about it because it opens up a lot of possibilities for user interface. Like, uh, one of the things yeah. that I got really excited about the Leap Motion was the initial demo they put out because they put out a Unity API. Um, you're looking at your hand, and in order to access the menu, you just turn your hand over, and your menu is right here. That, yes, I saw so it. Like, oh, and then you can just pull it and drag it out from your hand. Yes. You know? That's a really cool idea, and that's a really intuitive menu system that I don't think. Um, many people are using because if you try to do it with controllers, you're gonna hurt yourself or break your <laughs> controllers because it's like, <laughs> like you really don't think about it. But when you're holding yeah. controllers, it's like you don't Especially have stumps those, those on the end of your hand, so manipulating things is difficult. Yeah, it becomes more difficult when you're holding controllers. Um, I think the biggest the biggest drawback to that sort of, um, I guess, virtual object interface is the lack of tactile feedback. And there are people working on it as hard as they possibly can. (laughs) Like, I've seen some crazy stuff recently. Like, ultra-thin actuators. Like, it's not... It's not like a... I mean, if you look at the um, current setup for Vive controllers or, you know, even the Quest controller, it's like Mm -hmm. a rumble pad. We've had rumble pads since the early 90s because that's what they used in, you know... The early 90s. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like when you you got the PlayStation 2 and it's like, oh, this controller has a rumble pad. It's so sweet. (laughs) And it made no sense. It's like, Like, I'm there. (laughs) I mean, even it didn't... No, it it doesn't. It really. didn't make you feel like you're any more there. It, no. it just stressed you out more than anything else because it's yeah. like, oh, there's stuff happening. <laughs> um, and with the current controller setup, it's still the same technology. It's like a little yeah. thing that spins really fast and vibrates the controller. I thought like, it was pretty yeah, cool. The only time that I've felt that and been like, oh, that's cool, was with a bow. Anytime right. you're, you feel the tension of the bow, like, right. other than exactly. that, it hasn't. Exactly, and that and no that, that was just a matter of um, creative activation of the haptics, as it were. Because yeah. if it was just a straight, you know, sustained rumble, it wouldn't feel as good. No. But it's actually like you pull the it, frequency changes. Yeah, it changes depending on how fast you're pulling it, which yeah. is really really cool, and it makes it feel like you're actually pulling something. Yeah, um, and that's why 
you know, the first games that people made were bow and arrow games because it was just, it was a lot of fun. It was very satisfying to do that. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, but without any sort of tactical feedback on your virtual hands, it's going to be more difficult to manipulate objects than you might think. Yeah, um, right least, now it's already difficult with controllers because you know one of the one of the first menu systems I created was like a virtual iPad. Well, that's cool. It makes sense. You, know, you yeah. plug your iPad and then push the buttons on the <laughs> iPad. And it was like taking this coffee cup and like... If you're listening, he is cavemanning his hand against yeah, his other hand. I wish I could... <laughs> I wish I had a better example of that. But it's a... Uh, it's like I said, yeah. you don't... You don't... Is it the lack of... Is, it's the lack of uh, dexterity. Essentially, you, yes. you don't have that. You're essentially to be using able to... gross motor movements gotcha. as opposed yeah. to the finer. Yeah. Finger. They call them fingers, but they never finger anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. There they go. There they go. Yeah. You, you essentially lose your fingers when you have controllers. So yeah. it's just like, eh, you might as well be Captain Hook because it's, it's difficult to, it's difficult to push buttons that way. Yeah. Um, so coming up with user interface in VR has been incredibly challenging, especially right. when we are trying to make it as um, simple as possible for anyone to use. Um, That's I would love to be able to talk about that because essentially you were trying what you did when you when you um, created this software package when you created this mm -hmm. this this product. You are having to you. There's gonna be some learning curve there's, oh, there's yeah. gonna there's gonna have yeah. to be for people these are p engineers or these are salespeople that are having to learn a new CEOs. software ceos yeah so how did you think of like uh, yeah old white guys <laughs> I, mean, I, hate to, I hate to be that way but yeah yeah so how are they we can put old white guys in a headset and they get it yeah how did you find did you have like um that you can share like some principles some like some core like how do you how do you develop how do you develop VR? Something um, as, as big as enterprise, like enterprise sure. VR. I can share. I can share a couple of stories that I think will get my point across more than anything else. Because a lot of what um, we have had the great fortune of being able to do is trial and error. Like yeah. the first, the first uh, big VR thing we did was essentially just a virtual trade show. Mm. So we had this kitchen set up. There were, were four. There were four workstations set up. <laughs> we even had a virtual avatar in there who that was, was cool. modeled after a real person. She's very sweet, um, but it, it looked like her. It looked like her. It yeah. wasn't like super realistic, but it, it used her. her voice. It used her likeness, and she was at that first trade show. That's cool. So it was like a huge head trip for people coming out. Of it. Like, hi. I'm like, oh my God, it's you. You were in the thing. It's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I did. <clears throat> um, but the, the first iteration of that, we were just using the controller models in, in the virtual environment. Like we had yeah. a Vive. It, you know, you didn't have to do anything. They, it magically happened with the with the Steam VR setup. You had your controller models that you could see in the headset. Yeah, um, and it was really eye opening for us because anyone over the age of like forty or forty five, like they would hold it like a TV remote and try to click on things because uh, that's yeah. what they were used to. Oh, like wow. that's that's one of the things. That was the emotional baggage they brought with them into the virtual <laughs> world. This is a huge that this is a huge point and that's a huge deal. I mean, it is kind of funny, but when you're going into the virtual world, 
the I always tell people that there is no more aptly named technology than virtual reality because you are rea- you are going into another reality. You are not changing who you are. Like you can go pretend to be whatever you want, but if you have any sort of social anxiety in your real life and you walk into a room full of virtual people, it's not virtual anxiety. It's real. <laughs> it's very real anxiety. Yeah. And you will feel it. So when you're going into, and this this happens with user interfaces as well, um, anyone over the age of 45, like, yeah, it's a remote. They would try to click it and not move it all. I'm like, it's not working. This is broken. Like, this isn't doing try- what... <laughs> What I'm supposed to like, it's just pretend it's your hand. And they, mm. it was more of a mental leap for them yeah. to actually use the controller model as right. an interaction device. People under 30 that, you know, played video games all their life. It was like, oh, yeah, this is great. You know, they could do it without any problem. Exactly. Well, I think so, the trigger was also that that's a right. function that was introduced exactly. later on. I think that. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's been that was a huge hurdle as well. So what we had to um the first thing we did, and I, and I wasn't at the trade show, I was actually working back at the office, I I swapped out the controller models for hands. Oh. But when you do that, you then start to have to think about things like, well, what color should the hands be? Yeah. Yeah. Gloves. Gloves. <laughs> Blue nitrile gloves. Yes. That's what we went with. So appropriate. Because it's like, oh, who, who knows what your skin color is? You're wearing blue gloves. Yeah. Because that could break. I mean, that breaks immersion. Like, yeah, if you look exactly. down and those, these are not my hands. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It breaks immersion. Like, yeah. One of the things that I feel very fortunate as a developer for virtual reality is that I don't have to do anything to get you immersed except put the headset on you. That's cool. And you're there. You are virtually in a new reality. My job becomes difficult because I have to keep you there. I have to make sure that that virtual environment you're interacting with seems as seamless as possible to the real world. And it's amazing what your brain will actually allow and not feel like you're breaking immersion. Like I played a game that was, it almost looked like I was in the original Doom. That's cool. Like the graphics were, it looked like, you know, the oh, like the 16 bit oh, style textures. Gotcha. Yeah. But I was not in. Not the new VR Doom. No, not the, the new VR like, Doom. Like the, Doom the original, <laughs> yeah, the original Doom. And your brain accepts it. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to look real for yes. your brain to accept. It has to act real. Mm-hmm. If you have any sort of weird physical abnormalities right. um one of the biggest things that I, I know anyone who's tried vr for the first time let's let's do roller coasters no do not do roller yeah do not do roller coasters <laughs> because you are seeing movement and your brain is not feeling movement so your brain's automatically like oh my god i've been poisoned i better throw up and try to become as light as possible so i can run away yeah it's fight or flight it's a primal instinct we can't help it yeah um so that brings us to the next tip. Don't force locomotion. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to be very careful when you do things like move the player from point A to point B. You have to make sure that the player is controlling that. You have to make sure yeah. that it is a deliberate action. And you have to make sure that um, one of the things that was built into the Steam APR was called the blink. 
So when you teleport from point A to point B, the screen because momentarily goes black like you're blinking. We saw that with um, the Exorcist. The, yeah, you get to the point where you're actually blinking. You're physically blinking when the headset is blinking <laughs> because your mind accepts it. That's cool. And I didn't know that. When you close your eyes and then open them in a new location, if you have that you know idea of teleporting in mind... Your brain has no problem with it whatsoever. When you, when it comes to modes of transportation, when you're designing experiences, that was, I did that once already. So <laughs> when you, when you're creating ways to, to travel around a VR space, do you have a preference between, cause there's obviously, I've, I've if you played Skyrim VR, you mm-hmm. can either teleport yeah. or you can have that smooth motion. What I've found is like 15 minutes into smooth motion, I want to vomit. But yeah. teleporting, although not as immersive, like you feel like you're missing out on that. Sure. That trip from point A to point B, it does feel a little bit better. Do you, when you're creating experiences, especially for these enterprise clients, mm-hmm. is that like something that you have to, or are you building room scale to where it's like you're designing for a specific space? Like what? It really all depends on what the application is. Gotcha. Um, like for the, um, the software package we've created thus far, which is non-creatively called Virtue Fab. Um, <laughs> I love the name. <laughs> it's, it's a good name. It fits. It's virtual yeah. fabrication. Um, it's all teleportation based. Cool. So the user has control over where they teleport. There's a nice arc that comes out with the you know target on the end. Yeah. Um, and we try to make everything as comfortable as possible. Yeah. So we rely heavily on the blink functionality. Um, I. In some other games, I've become a fan of um, what they call a dash mechanic, where instead of blinking, like you actually move quickly. Like to there's that like a new blur, or yeah. uh, like a motion blur. Yeah. But the yeah the the comfort settings that are generally implemented with that will be either like a vignette around the headset, so your Google peripheral, Earth. right? So your peripheral can't see the movement, or it's motion blurred, yeah. which your brain automatically accepts because if you're moving at a fast speed. You're stuff gonna, happening here it's like whatever this is important yeah this is the you know the front view is what what you really need to focus on um but again it depends on the application like if we need to do something where like if you were just doing this office and we had a big enough space to walk around in there's no need to teleport at all yeah it's a tiny office yeah. <laughs> it's, tiny, it's, it's big enough yeah no that's i found um it, even with some of the VR experiences that I've done, <clears throat> it's um, having a room scale experience is mm-hmm. the most comfortable. You, you, anywhere that you see, I say well, the most comfortable. I think I enjoy those because then, right? I, even then, you know, I, I say enjoy. It's a different, yeah. It's just a different experience knowing that, like, hey, this is your space. This is what you can operate in. Mm-hmm. You can walk in anywhere you want. But then, when you're operating with spaces that are very large, you obviously can't. You know, go into a, you can go into a warehouse and do the VR experience. Right, that exactly. would be that'd be uh, well, do some free roam VR. There's you a way to be to be creative with it as well. Um, yeah, if you <laughs> take a journey with me, um, there's a there's a game prototype ish out there, um, and I'm not paid by this developer <laughs> at all. Called T for God. I've heard of that one. And T for God uses something called non Euclidean geometry to navigate the world. So what? Yeah, when you're when you're thinking about how the world is laid out, um, if I were to go outside and turn around and look at the closed door, I would know that this office is behind that closed door because yeah. I just exited it. 
in a non-Euclidean Euclidean space, I could walk out that door, turn around, open the door, and it would be a completely different location. Oh, that's cool. So it's a... That's really trippy. It is really trippy, <laughs> but you could have a you know five foot by five foot space without teleportation that uh, you could literally walk around in. Yes. You just have to be very creative in how you lay out the world. And this is something that T for God does very well. Um, I think it's, it's almost just a demo of that type of technology because yeah. it expands for whatever size space you have. Cool. So you can just walk. You're essentially like walking through a maze and there's yeah. like robots and like, there are windows occasionally to the outside world where you look at it, but if you go around the corner and look out, it's a completely different thing. That's like it feels cool. like you've traveled really, really far when you're you're confined to a five by five square. That's so it's 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 difficult to pull off, um, but your brain has no problem with it. Yeah, you can convince that it's virtual real. Uh, you kind it of is, going into it, you kind of you, you lose some of those. Reality. Yeah. Well, Jason, we're already out of time, man. I figured as much. Um, <laughs> we can, I, if you want to have me back at some point, we can continue I would, talking about stuff because there's, oh, yeah. there's a lot more that I don't think um, we really covered. Um, yeah, there's. Well, yeah, we just scratched the surface. Yeah. of what is possible and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to have you back on. That'd be great. Cool. Just let me know when I'll be here. <laughs> I'm just just down, down the, the road. road. Just down the road. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks awesome. for coming. Not a problem. I Guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jason. He dropped some serious bombs with some technical information. Uh, you know, we created this podcast because we realized there's a lot of talented people in the immersive tech space creating some amazing experiences, creating some amazing stories. And well, they don't have a platform to tell those stories on. And that's why we created this. We wanted to give a place, a platform for those people. If you know anybody that would that would like to be on the podcast, let us know. Put it down in the comment section down below. If you know somebody, tag them in this post. Let them know uh, that there's a place where they can tell their stories. Again, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on the Google Play Store. We're we're on Facebook and YouTube. We're, you you can find us anywhere. And until then, remember you can check us out every Monday for the actual VR show on our Facebook and YouTube. And uh, see us on the podcast every Friday. But until uh, until we see you next week, bye. <laughs>